Well, we are uh, in our sermon series looking at the characteristics of God, and today we're going to talk about the Trinity. Uh, And I would like to talk to you about um, a word that I think lies at the center of God's heart and uh, why it lies so close to the heart of God. And so uh, I, I want to look at that verse that uh, Pastor Sam just read for us just a moment ago from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And I want you to listen again uh, to that passage and see if you can find the word I'm talking about. All right? So here it goes. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Hopefully you picked up on the word. It's the word one. One. Why is, why is that so important to Paul? Well, for starters, it's important as Paul is talking about God because God exists, we Christians believe, as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons and yet one. God exists in perfect unity. Father, Son, and Spirit, one in will, one in equality, one throughout all eternity. Now think for a moment what life is like within the experience of the Trinity. How does the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit experience each other? I mean, do you think there's like a lot of arguments going on in the Trinity? Like, who's the oldest? Like, who's the most omnipotent? Which one gets to be the boss that day? Think about it. You know, it's very ironic. When God the Son, Jesus, came to earth, the most common argument amongst his disciples was who gets to be in charge? Who's the greatest? Uh, many of you remember, there's a, a, an athlete who was famous for saying, I am the greatest. Muhammad Ali, and he used to uh, tell a story about himself. One time he was on an airplane, and the flight attendant came up to him and said, you're going to have to wear a seatbelt. And he said, I'm not going to wear a seatbelt. She says, uh, it's regulation, it's law, we're, gonna take, we're not going to be able to take off without it, you need to wear your seatbelt. And Ali said, then don't take off, because I don't need no seatbelt. I'm Superman, Superman, don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant said, well, Superman don't need no airplane. (laughs) You see, God the Son, member of the Trinity, comes to earth where the greatest argument is who is the greatest. Who gets to be the boss? But you know, in the Trinity, life is not like that at all. So I want to start in this talk by reflecting with you about the members of the Trinity what life is like. And I want to start with the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. And I want you to notice a couple of statements that Jesus makes about the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 14, 26, that the Holy Spirit that the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When the Holy Spirit comes, the counselor comes, Jesus says, the counselor will bear witness 
to me, Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not clamor to have attention focused on himself. His constant ministry is to get people to focus on Jesus. The Holy Spirit points and says, this is Jesus. Look at Jesus. Notice him. Listen to him. Follow him. Honor him. Love him. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is God, a member of the Trinity, who does not clamor to have all the attention focused on himself. But this is where it really gets interesting. When you look at Jesus, we oddly see enough, he didn't walk around saying, I am the greatest. He says in John 8, 54, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Jesus says, I have not come to be served. I have come to serve. Jesus submits to the Holy Spirit who drives him into the wilderness, Mark tells us. Jesus submits to the Father and says, not my human will. It's not about me getting my way, but the divine will be done. Ah, and this is where it gets really cool. Then there's the Father. Twice in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Twice we hear the very voice of God. Once at the baptism, and then once at the transfiguration of the Son. Both times this is what God says. Matthew 17, verse 5. This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. God the Father wants the world to know is all that we have is in Jesus Jesus of Nazareth is almost his total preoccupation in the Gospels. And you'll notice the voice from heaven does not say, now remember, listen to me after you listen to him. Don't forget I'm up here. Don't get too carried away with Jesus. You see, each member of the Trinity points faithfully and selflessly to the other in a gracious circle. We believe God exists as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Son submits to the Father. The Father exalts the Son. The Son submits to the Spirit. The Spirit testifies to the Son. And the Father sends the Spirit. And the Spirit points back to the Father through the Son. God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit in a community of greater humility, of servanthood, of mutual submission, of self-sacrificial love and delight than you and I could ever imagine. That's why Paul says God is one. And the significance of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, is that God exists in perfect oneness throughout all eternity. And God is so excited about this. God is so moved by his eternal being with the goodness of oneness that when God creates human beings, he does it in his own image. We're told God makes them male and female, and the two shall become what? One. That word again. God makes human beings to know oneness. Because oneness is the signature of God. 
God exists as three and yet one, and he makes human beings in his image so the two shall become one. But you all know the story. Something desperately happened. Sin enters into the world and we lose oneness. Human beings go into hiding. That is the great destructiveness of sin. Sin destroys oneness. And we are now alienated from ourselves, from each other, from God. And you read in the headlines every day about the pain of a world where oneness is shattered. That is why it is so powerful when we see oneness. Oneness you see in a great marriage. The oneness you see between a parent and a child when a family is working really well. The oneness that you see in two friends who go through life together. The oneness that you see in a church that is united in the mission of God. It creates this longing in us to want to be a part of it. So God begins again with Israel. And his plan for oneness is to be recreated. And that's why we come across these amazing statements throughout the Old Testament. Like Psalm 133 verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. In oneness. Because that is the signature of God. And it leads us to one of the most amazing passages of scripture expressed by Jesus himself. And I want you to listen to this. This is a prayer that Jesus offers. This is from John 17, 20 through 21. He's praying for his followers, his disciples, and he's praying for those who will come to believe through them. That's you and me. He's praying for you and me here. And he says in John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't that amazing? You think about it. It is the will of the Trinity that we should be invited into the fellowship of the Trinity. Jesus says, may they, people like you and me, may they be one with each other as we are one As I am in you and you are in me, may they be in us. It's probably one of the most remarkable statements in all of Scripture. Because that is the community that we're invited into. But now I need to remind us of something. That this invitation does not come without a price. It comes without a sacrifice. The Son says, I will leave heaven and come to earth. What does that mean? What does it mean when Jesus left heaven and came to earth? Is that like Jesus going from Florida to live in northern Wisconsin in the middle of February? It's kind of like that. (laughs) It really is. Uh, uh. But in some ways that we don't fully understand, God the Son says, I will leave the perfect oneness that I have known for all eternity, and I will become like a human being, and I will take on their brokenness and their aloneness. And I will die on a cross for them. On the very cross, he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father pays a price as well. God the Father says, I will offer my son who I love beyond words. I'll see him broken, 
rejected, killed, his pain will become my pain. I have two sons, and I can't imagine doing that. God says, I will know the broken heart. Spirit says, I will be poured out on earth in mostly silent ways, invisible ways. I will offer to lead and guide, never exalting myself, always pointing to the Son, but to a large extent, Spirit's promptings are going to get ignored, be rejected, denied. The Spirit will be quenched. The Spirit will be grieved. The Spirit had never been grieved throughout all eternity with the Father and Son, had never known anything but just joy and delight. You understand, you have been invited into this fellowship of love through the gracious ministry of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at an enormous cost to each and every member of the Trinity. So that's why to tolerate disunity in the body of Christ, to do anything that would lead to disunity, to fail to guard and prize, and then to extend this message is just unthinkable. It's unthinkable. To allow disunity in this fellowship, to fail to build up this fellowship, is to be fundamentally at odds with the purpose of God. That's why Paul says in our text, Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity. Notice he doesn't say create it, because this isn't a human project. It was there long before you and I ever existed, but he says maintain it. And you make every effort to do that. And in light of the beauty of community and its meaning to God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and in light of the staggering cost each member of the Trinity pays to invite us to be a part of it, don't you dare take it lightly, Paul says. Don't let anything damage it. Truth is, we do. We gossip. We allow unresolved conflict to go on. You think about this. What doctrine or gift have we not trampled on to allow it sever the body of Christ? Discussions about mode of baptism, the doctrine of the end times, appropriate clothing for a pastor, inclusion of women in ministry, the proper translation of the Bible, the role of the Holy Spirit, the acceptable style of preaching, what type of music should we listen to? I was just trying to think of this week one doctrine that hasn't been used to split churches and denominations. A little exercise here for a moment. Turn to the person next to you and take a wild guess. Take a wild guess at how many denominations you think are in the world right now. Just take a wild guess. Wild guess. Real quick. Again, this number uh, came out a little while ago, so it might be dated, but currently there are 33,900 denominations. Okay. Every single one of them think they're right. Every one of them. You know, growing up, years ago, we used to talk about the day when we'd all be in heaven together. There'd be no more denominations. That'd be a great day. We'd talk about what it would like to be in heaven on that day. There would be some Catholics there represented by the Pope. 
There would be some Lutherans there, represented by Martin Luther. There would be some Methodists there, represented by John Wesley. There would be some Baptists there in a subcommittee. Um, there would be some Covenanters there, of course, represented by Jesus. Speaking Swedish, just like all the rest of the apostles. It'd be a great day. You know, but at the end... Jesus won't allow his people to be separated in the Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches and Lutheran churches. Jesus has one church. One. One. And he takes it very seriously. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, Paul says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. That's right out of the Bible. God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Those are very sobering words. And part of what they tell us is that there are a whole lot of people who have no idea how jealous God is for the oneness of his people. When churches allow disunity, slander, rumors, gossip, unresolved conflict, bitter words, power struggles, this desecrates the unity that Christ died for. So your goal, everybody in this room, we are called by Paul and by Jesus to be guardians and extenders of what is most prized by God. So let me be real personal for a moment. I just want to talk personally to us right now. Is there any way that you personally are being casual or cavalier with God's community these days? Is there any unresolved conflict between you and another brother or sister? Have you said bad things about anybody to a third person? Is there any judgmental attitude in you toward anybody? Ever feel like you're too high up for just plain servanthood? Do you have any difficult people in your life? How are you doing with them right now? No, Henry Nouwen writes, Community is the place where the person I least want to belong there always belongs. So how are you doing with the difficult people in your life? And I want to ask you to be ruthlessly open to God's convicting work in you right now. Because community starts with one person at a time. And the biggest way that you will be building up or tearing down oneness is that you are a part of is by the state of your heart and soul and the hands and mouth with the people who are around you. This is a you deal. You and God. So I want to ask you, is there anything you need to do to set things right? Is there any conflict you need to resolve? Is there any sin you need to confess? Is there any attitudes you need to change? Is there any form of servanthood you need to start practicing? And I want to ask you, This morning, will you do it? Today, if you need to make a phone call, make it. 
If you need to schedule an appointment, schedule it. If you need to get on your knees before God, get on your knees before God. Paul says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And you and I have to decide whether or not we'll obey God or we'll defy Him. Will you honor God's oneness? And then will you say a little prayer, God, help me. With all my strength, extend this oneness of yours, this fellowship that you have extended at such cost. Help me to extend it to others as widely, as deeply, and as fully as I can to people who are right now on the outside. To invite folks to find a place where someone knows them and loves them, where they can be used by God, where they can serve, where they can be celebrated. God, help me to extend your community to everyone that I can. So, you invite everyone you can. And don't forget to come yourself. Because one is God's favorite word. Oneness is what God is all about. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, thank you for being a God who is brilliant in your character and yet one and God we thank you for inviting us to be a part of who you are and what you are doing God we love oneness but we struggle with it we have a, we struggle to maintain it many times so God we just come to you in this moment in humility and openness and we say, will you convict us, call us and challenge us to live in that relationship that you have created for us. You've created us to experience it. God, if there's areas in our life, relationships that we are struggling in right now, help us again to just be humble and to go make amends. Seek reconciliation. God, will you soften hard hearts? We can't do this on our own. We need you to help us. Can't do this fully in our strength alone. We do this through you. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's in their name we pray. Amen.